This is Pixelated Audio, episode 135, featuring the music of Waterworld. Welcome back to Pixelated Audio, a podcast focusing on game audio, its history, and the people behind it. We're your hosts. I'm Gene, and this is Brian. How's it going? Today, we're going to be talking about and playing music from just about every version of Waterworld in all of its glory. That that track that brought us in was the map selection screen from the Super Nintendo version composed by Dean Evans. And what a smooth track. That should ease you into all of the glorious underwater adventure we're going to be going on for a lot of the rest of this show. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really excited, actually. This was uh, originally kind of started as like a, like a joke between us. We're like, oh, we should do Waterworld. And then we both watched the movie, and then we both like started going through all the games and all the music, and we're like, we just got to do it now. So uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. There's some good stuff in here. Yeah, this is one of those games that... Uh probably didn't need to happen uh but at the same time yeah there's so much great music particularly in the super nintendo and genesis versions which uh, we'll talk a little bit more about as we go on into the show but uh it was released on the super nintendo virtual boy and game boy in 95 by british studio ocean software there was a genesis version planned and mostly completed for fall of 95 in europe but it was never officially released It was later dumped online, so we now have access to the music. And it's very similar to the Super Nintendo version, except for it has a completely different soundtrack. And we're going to be playing some tracks on the later half of the show. Yeah, really excited because, yeah, this actually made its way on to um, uh, Project 2612 just, uh, what, like this year. So A few months back, yeah. Yeah, so uh, excited that we can kind of feature it on here and uh, kind of dig through the other soundtracks as well. There's some uh, there's some merit, I think, in um, all the soundtracks, especially the Super Nintendo ones. Really good. And then there's, a, you know, some some gems and some not-so-hot stuff, too, we're going to be looking uh, <laughs> listening to. So, yeah, there, there's a like a PC version that was released by Interplay in 1987. 
There are also plans for a Saturn a 32X Jaguar and 3DO port, but those were never finished. So uh, we're not going to be listening to anything from the 3DO, unfortunately, today. I don't know about the music, but we were probably spared by not having those games released. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of dead weight in some of these. So uh, I think we're going to have a lot to go through. <laughs> Let's get to our next track just to kind of keep the ball going. This is Mission One theme, and we're going to stick to the Super Nintendo for the time being. So this is composed by Dean Evans, and we'll be right back.
That was Mission Theme 1, composed by Dean Evans for the Super Nintendo version of Waterworld. There's some nice instruments in there. I think a a little bit on the bland side as far as uh, the synth stuff goes, but then, you know, like nice percussion line. I think the the kind of pops from the um, almost bongo sounding stuff um, or uh, tribal sounding percussion lines. It's pretty cool touch like that. For me, uh, I agree with you, but I really just... It was grooving on that. It's just so relaxing, and it's oh, so- it's a good track. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying it's not a good track. It's just uh, I think that it, for one that that bass line takes way too long to to get in there. It's like two and a half minutes before that thing starts up. No way, I, man! The bass line's going the whole time. No, I mean that that, that <laughs> bass solo is what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I get you. I mean, this is a nice chill track. Uh, Reminds me of the early days where uh, world music was pretty much everywhere. You know, you're, uh, <laughs> you just you're get Kobayashi's it at the grocery store. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a fun track. And the samples are just so clean in this soundtrack. You know, this is, this is 95. The Super Nintendo was as advanced as you were going to be able to get anything out of it at this point. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, cool track. And the Super Nintendo has its own kind of unique soundtrack i mean yeah there's some bleed off into the other games but i think that um this is kind of where it was uh, like designed you know what i mean like they they had this going in mind and then later on it kind of was uh you know an afterthought for everything else but um so we got some good stuff yeah i do feel like the super nintendo was kind of the base at least from a development perspective uh number one it was finished and had a little bit more music and probably the most elaborate soundtrack (laughs) i love it it was finished (laughs) the bar is that the game actually was released there's like more canceled versions than completed ones so like give me a break (laughs) (laughs) anyways so we're going to talk more about the game shortly uh but this game is based on a movie they came out in 1995, and we just passed the 25th year anniversary of it. It was released in July 28th, 1995. So uh, this movie. Oh, man. Waterworld. You know, I <laughs> I probably had, like, the internet perception of the movie going into it because I didn't see it at the time. It's definitely not what I expected, uh, <laughs> and we'll talk about that. But the story is... In the distant future, the polar ice caps have melted completely, and most of the globe is underwater. Some human settlements survive on floating outposts. Kevin Costner stars as the unnamed mariner. He's half man, half fish, and that allows him to breathe underwater due to a mutation. And during his travels, he gets captured and escapes with the help of Helen and her adopted daughter, Enola. After that, he reluctantly befriends them Meanwhile, the three are being chased by the menacing ocean gang known as the Smokers, who believe that Enola holds the key to finding the mythical, unsubmerged dry land. So on paper, <laughs> it actually sounds pretty cool, right? It does, yeah. Like, it sounds a little cheesy, like the whole Gills thing, but I think that they bring that in in a very tasteful way. See, this movie got a lot of gruff from a lot of people, but I'll tell you what, I just watched it recently, and I was like... I was into it. I was digging it. It's a. I loved it. <laughs> I, I just got to say it. I. You know. I. I have to say. Like. I expected it to be a total. Like. Just terrible. So bad. It's a good movie. It's a typical mid '90s action movie. Exactly. Exactly. If you like Demolition Man or Con Air, one of those sort of really cheesy. Actually, I don't think this one was meant to be cheesy, but it has that same kind of energy to it. Like. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's. It's fun. The sets are great. 
There's uh, really awesome like water stunts where they're riding around on jet skis and tons and tons of explosions. If you want to turn your brain off and this is the year to do it, why not go back to a year <laughs> when we were just pretending the world was in shambles? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the actors, uh, Gene already mentioned Kevin Cosner. Uh, he plays the uh, the Mariner and they, they bring it in, like I was saying, tastefully it's not like he's just like some dude with like a fish head or or like you know you know it's like it he like pulls back one of his ears and they notice like he's got like some gills or something back there and then he's got like web feet and and he's hiding it because obviously people don't like the mutants so he sort of looks like a person and tries to play it pretty straight until he gets kidnapped and that's one of the reasons why they want to why they want to kidnap him because they realize he's not like them. Yeah, yeah, and and really his superpower in this is that he can just breathe underwater, and I mean that's pretty much it. Um, there's Jean Triplethorn, and uh, that plays the character Helen or Enola's caretaker. Um, Dennis Hopper, who plays the bad guy, now he is amazing. You might remember him from the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, <laughs> he was like the dude from the '80s and '90s, like the bad guy, but. I, honestly, he's adorable in this movie. I love him. <laughs> yeah, the the smokers, the guy, he leads the band, and everybody has got all sorts of vices. Whiskey, cigarettes, whatever Dude, you want. And you know what? Like, <laughs> honestly, like, I, I still, like, I couldn't figure out where the cigarettes come from. Like... <laughs> They probably just took over some tanker somewhere that was carrying them. I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I know. I couldn't stop thinking about that the whole movie. I'm like, where are they getting this? Anyways, so Dennis Hopper, um, even Jack Black plays a, a little part in this. If, you, um, if you've seen the movie, there's that part where the uh, they're getting attacked from the air and there's the the pilot that is, um, that's flying and he's like, wah! And anyways, that's Jack Black. Um, you know, he, Tenacious D, all that stuff. I guess he got his start. Uh, Gene, you, you put some notes here. You got his <laughs> start did, yeah. on a, a commercial in 1982 for Pitfall on the Atari 2600. Now, I, I actually, just before the show, I was like, oh, I didn't know that. So I went and watched the the thing yeah it's a little tiny jack black on there <laughs> and sure uh, enough one of the other main characters uh is tina Majorino. she plays enola the, right, the right. child character uh she actually started as a child actress and went on to be napoleon dynamite's lead actress and cindy mac mckenzie in veronica mars so she's been acting for many years now but she wasn't her first role but it was probably her first big role and i actually thought she did a great job like i don't normally love child actors in movies but i think she she filled the role of like mystical child that's uh that's like child prodigy kind of thing right that's <laughs> trying to like uh you know tame the uh the big evil you know captor or whatever you know like <laughs> she's kind of like the the not the comic relief but more like the uh the hard ass i guess <laughs> honestly more than anything it was it's very much of its time but i thought all the actors turned in some great roles i don't think it was like Embarrassing, like it was a fun watch. That's all Dude, I gotta and, say. About and the it. sets yeah. and stuff are great. I mean, we could we could talk about the movie all we want, but like, really, <laughs> let's get into the music. <laughs> all right, let's move on. So we're gonna jump into another track here. This is "Diving" from the Super Nintendo, composed by Dean Evans. Thank you. 
That was Diving from the Super Nintendo version of Waterworld, composed by Dean Evans. This track is one of those ones that, for the first minute, you're not really sure what's going to happen, because it's sort of like, it's kind of a boring first minute, actually. And then it's a classic European, you know, like C64 or Amiga tunes. They just write these super long melodies and and all this stuff going on. It's great. I love this track. This is like my favorite track. This is so good. It's, I, I, I know, I, I felt the same thing too. When I first heard it, I was a little bit bored. And then, uh, you know, because it, I just watched this crazy action movie and I was thinking, you know, like there's really got to be something that picks up the pace a little bit, you know, to kind of meet the, um, meet the movie halfway, I guess. And then when I listened to this, I kind of just, you know, stopped thinking about like, water world and just started thinking about floating on a raft <laughs> and that <laughs> made a lot more sense to me um i really like the there's a lot of just little accents that are are thrown in and I, I think the use of samples again is just awesome in this one definitely this one reminds me like of a mix between like tim fallen stuff and i just couldn't get the picture out of my head and it must be just what was in the air in the uk at the time but like a lot of rare music up to like perfect dark sounded a lot like this just the use of the bass line and the, and the melodies. I don't know. It was, I, I, I don't know what was popular over there at the time, but I'm just like, 
I can't separate the two, even though they're different companies and they had different employees, but there's a lot of similarities. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Dean Evans was doing some uh, some mood lighting for Rare or something like that. You, you know, know, that I'm wouldn't surprise know. me. They were probably trying to swipe each other's employees from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so we, we both just, you know, going back over to the movie, we both just recently watched it. In fact, so I, I did see this in the theater. I, I like that was the only time I had seen this movie. Oh, you it did? Is, yes. <laughs> oh, oh yes. Oh yes. In its entirety, this is the only time. And think I saw it with my friend Dusty, who uh, has been on the show before. And the next time I saw it was a week ago here on I think it's on like Stars or something like that. That's how I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. And I just like put it on and I went through the whole thing. And you know what? Yeah. I. I loved it. It was great. Yeah. You know, everyone remembers that first scene, which. Uh, oh yeah. You know, um, Parents, if you have kids, uh, no I'm kidding. Kevin Costner uh, uh, processes his own urine for potable drinking water. He puts it through some sort of machine, and I remember that was like the joke about Waterworld for probably until now, because it's like the movie basically opens with it, but then it goes on to be a water Mad Max or Wet Road Warrior, as Jack Black said. That's great. So uh, you know, it's 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 funny because if you kind of peel back the hype. It's really not that different from the more recent Mad Max Fury Road, the one that came out a few years ago. So if you like that one, you'll probably like this one, if you, especially if you enjoy 90s films. Well, yeah, and again, <laughs> the, the the set is awesome. Like the, the uh, character, like the the costume design stuff, like there's people wearing, um, uh, what is it, like six, the, the six pack um, plastic containers, you know, the, like the ones that like, <laughs> you know fish get stuck in and stuff anyway yeah they'll have a whole like suit made of that because it's just like one thing has survived over the years so yeah no i thought it was great everything has this like uh like this not steampunk what do you call it like everything is a little bit worn out and rusted over and you know like everybody's covered in grime and dirt it's it's actually a really cool art direction and i really love the sets like the atoll that they're on which is like this circular platform where the first like big action scene takes place is really awesome and uh i i I was just really impressed with all of the effort that went into it there was like a cool vision here and i definitely think uh you know just ignore what people say in fact i wanted to talk about some of that before we go back into the game stuff because i thought it was funny because i learned this for the first time i assumed you know just done horribly but it was actually just okay like it was a very big budget but it earned more than that it was you know 175 million dollar budget Earn about two hundred and sixty million, but you know that's Hollywood math. So it wasn't like a super successful film. But I think most people assume it like complete failure, lost all, you know, basically made no money. Nobody went to see right. it in theaters. That wasn't right, the case. Right. You know, I remember people talking about it, going to see it. I never really paid attention to the numbers, but I think where a lot of that comes from, I dug this up from an article which was kind of trying to like repair its uh, reputation a little bit. And the reason why the movie is remembered is because there were like so many production problems i thought some of this was really (laughs) crazy yeah some of these are so funny like i didn't realize like until uh you know going through it like oh my god like no wonder they had so much problems or it was it became like a joke a hollywood joke because like the list goes on and on i mean the the movie started like at a hundred million dollar budget basically doubled to 175 shooting same thing started at about 96 days went to 166 People described it as 18 months of hell and holy crap, you know, people were suffering from seasickness. There were points where medics were treating 40 to 50 cast members a day and there were like 500 people out on these sets. I know. 
gosh. Uh, Tina Majorino, the one who played the child actor, got stung so often by jellyfish that Costner called her jellyfish candy. His stunt double nearly died from an embolism coming up from a deep sea dive, which is super dangerous. And oh my God, that's that's terrifying. I know. And they had a hurricane knock out one of their sets, which was $5 million. Uh, (laughs) Dude, (laughs) uh, I know. I thought this was funny. I I wouldn't have thought it was funny as like a 10 year old, but we got the nicknames Fishtar or Kevin's Gate because there were really two huge movie flops from like the I think seventies and eighties, like Ishtar and Heaven's Gate. So they right. were everybody was expecting this to fail, and it was kind of like that was okay. Like it came out, it was supposed to be this huge disaster, and everybody was waiting for the other shoe to drop, and it didn't. And that's why we have all these Waterworld games. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, to be, to be fair, you know we have a lot of other uh, games floating around that probably never deserve to be made and so uh that's not really again gene you're not really setting the bar correctly here but (laughs) we got some great music so let's get into attack one composed by dean evans on the super nintendo
That was Attack 1, composed by Dean Evans for the Super Nintendo version of Waterworld. Another great track. This is really, really smooth in the beginning. And then, man, that you know midpoint where it picks up. Ooh, God, it's so good. Such a great change of pace in the, an already awesome song. Yeah, that one caught me off guard. When I was first listening to it, I'm like, it loops, right? Like like two minutes or one, one and a half minutes. And then that part comes in where they change up the rhythm. Gotta say, throughout the whole soundtrack, love the use of pitch percussion. And I love that synthesized guitar, even though it's a little... I mean, it's pretty common in these later SNES games. It has a very Super Nintendo guitar sound, but yeah, whatever. I mean, it works. It's fun. It's a great track. So like we mentioned earlier, Waterworld was released on the Super Nintendo in 1995 in Europe, and it was developed and published by Ocean. Dean Evans, the composer, he started working at the company in 1991, and he did a lot of licensed games. So he worked on Hook, Terminator 2, Lethal Weapon, Jurassic Park uh, for the Amiga and Cool World, Eek the Cat, also the Flintstones for Super NES. And he also wrote the music for the puzzle platformer game Pushover for Amiga and Super Nintendo, as well as other games. In 2000, he moved over to a company called Warthog Games and joined as their audio lead. And then later in 2002, he started his own company called Burnbray Audio. Yeah, and I think he's still working there today. I looked, his website's still active. Uh, I don't know if he's working on any big projects, but probably still, you know, commissions from time to time. Yeah. The Super Nintendo version, it's pretty similar to all the other versions. And again, just like the soundtrack, this is kind of like the baseline version, if you will. There's three different modes. So you can um, play on this isometric boat combat kind of thing where you float across water and shoot different um, uh, smokers on their jet skis. Like, jet ski kind <laughs> of thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a 2D swimming thing and some 2D action games. The swimming part reminds me a lot of. Um, and the control reminds me a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the NES when you go like into the, into yes. the water levels and under the dam. It's kind of like a little bit clunky and like the character movements look, it looks like identical to me. Um, <laughs> and then some 2D action stages. And if you've ever played Blackthorn, it reminds me of Blackthorn a lot. Uh, it's kind of got a, uh, like a slower pace to it, um, but nice action and nice control. So. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a solid game, nothing terribly special, but I mean, they did do a good job of trying to recreate all of the various action, if you will, from the movie. You know, there's underwater segments and he's fighting people on the land and on the sea, right? So you got it all. I'll tell you <laughs> what, though, the movie itself it just screams like, make me a game. It's it's a really awesome like idea that could translate very well, I think, on, you know, on a console, I, I, you know, like there's, you know, the water stuff, all the action sequences that take place on like the boats and stuff like that it just seems like the perfect recipe for something that, you know, kids, you know, 80s kids, 90s kids would want to play. So, yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I didn't play it because I wasn't in Europe and I never really cared much about Waterworld, but all the videos I've seen looks fine. It's definitely a game that if you went to play it, you'd probably enjoy yourself for like an hour or two. Uh, I didn't make it that long, but I, <laughs> yeah. I did play it. Like I didn't like the water. <laughs> I didn't like the water part, um, <laughs> but you know, that, I guess that was their downfall. Anyways, let's get into another track here. This is Mission Theme 3, composed by Dean Evans.
That was Mission Theme 3 from the Super Nintendo version of Waterworld, composed by Dean Evans. Right, not my favorite track, but I think there's still some merit there. Same, you know, I I kind of like this one because I don't like stereotypically fast boss themes, and we're getting pretty close to the end of the game with this one. It's a little bit up-tempo, but nothing super crazy, and I it's got a nice... It, it builds a nice sort of layer of, of action underneath, because this is mostly when you're playing, I think, in the boat stages, or maybe, I, I can't remember if it's the boat or the platforming stages, but, you know, either way, like, remember, no. it's it's a cool tune. Like, um, I definitely think, you know, diving and some of the earlier ones are, are the standout, but I wanted to include something a little bit more upbeat. Yeah, you know, I I want to say, I think this, like, we're, we're Dean Evans hit, hits his stride in the soundtrack is definitely the more mellow tracks. And that's where we can see like some really like creative use of like those otherworldly instruments. Whereas the um, like mission theme that this last one tries to kind of take more of it. I mean, you even said like when we we're listening to it, you're like, Oh, there's the mortal Kombat section. Yeah. Like <laughs> it takes like this, a little bit of a techno approach. And um, I just don't think that's really the strong suit of uh, of his composition style, uh, especially for the soundtrack. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that we threw this in because you can see that that really strong contrast between the the faster stuff and the more like laid back stuff that we played earlier. Definitely, yeah. All right, so taking a break from the Super Nintendo stuff, we're gonna pop over to the next game on our list here, and it's the Virtual Boy release. And this kind of was a sad release, actually. <laughs> It, I wish that it would have done better because the Virtual Boy was, um, it had some really strong games. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, there were some games I absolutely adore for it. This is not one of them. And I did play this way, way back in the day, probably around 96, 97. And um, it just, I don't know what they were thinking. It was <laughs> developed and published by Ocean of America, a little bit different, and composed by Jonathan Dunn. Now, the soundtrack is actually pretty cool. There's not a lot of music, though. Let's take a quick listen to the title theme from the Virtual Boy version of Waterworld.
That was the title theme from Waterworld on the Virtual Boy, composed by Dean Evans, but arranged by Jonathan Dunn. Yeah, and I would say it's pretty much composed by Jonathan Dunn because it's such a departure um, in terms of where it ends up. You know, we were listening to the beginning, and I wouldn't say there's anything really spectacular about this um, track. I I, I like the next track we're going to listen to, the gameplay stuff, a lot better, but... Um, this one really goes off the rails about like two and a half minutes in. It starts like making these like weird whale noises and then like jumps up to like a completely different spectrum. It's, it's just really interesting track. Yeah. It's like they took the melody from diving, which is like a smooth world music track on the Super Nintendo to some like weird c64 demo tune <laughs> i i yeah. like this one just because of how different it is it's recognizable but mm-hmm. at the other the yeah it, it gets very dissonant towards the end <laughs> right there's something about like the ocean loader infused water world music that makes this really really cool as strange as it is like i think a lot of other people are in the same boat where they you know they hear this track and they're like oh man this is actually like pretty good i i would disagree with anyone that says that this is one of the best tracks on uh, on the virtual boy but um it's 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 actually pretty cool it's pretty cool it is and i i just have to say have we not like made the stupid joke yet about ocean making water world oh my god <laughs> i was waiting for i was waiting for some acknowledgement i because i've been seeing it in the notes so many times and i've i've been thinking about it i thought you were gonna make the first crack <laughs> yeah no it's just hit me now i mean uh, i was like thinking like wait that's funny we didn't talk about ocean loaders and we're talking about ocean and then like then you brought up the the water world and i was like what what am I not putting together? Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, it's Anyways. super dumb, but you know, I, we should probably bring up Ocean just a little bit. So, Ocean Software started around 1982 and operated till about 1998, and they were one of the first companies to get on the bandwagon of like cheaply licensing mostly films and then turning it into games. Like they started in the early days with like RoboCop and Rambo and some of this other stuff, and. You know, by this point, when the Super Nintendo is starting to fade out, it wasn't quite as successful, so they had to transition, and that, you know, they ended in 98, so that was only so successful. This one was actually one of their subsidiaries, Ocean of America, uh, that was mostly for their American console releases. I don't know if there was, like, American Amiga or PC stuff at the time. I, I hadn't really looked that up. But um, they were in San Jose, not too far from where we are today. Uh, I actually looked up their address. It's on... Uh, Moby Games. I know exactly where that building is. <laughs> <laughs> now I do too. Um, and, and I think Ocean of America was really just the equivalent of, um, you know, something like Konami of America or Capcom of America, where it's just like a very small, like, publishing house for, you know, this territory rather than uh, doing a lot now. Pretty much, yeah. I don't think they developed a lot. It looks like the credits that they developed this. And I mean, if that's the case, shame on them <laughs> this is a this is a very poor game um i remember hating this when i was a kid and uh, we tried it out we got a virtual boy i think i've mentioned this on the show before we got a virtual boy when they were in like the bargain bin at toys r us for like 25 bucks and this was uh, i think mine was 40 bucks and 
this was only about, you know, I want to say like eight months after the Virtual Boy was out. And so um, the, all these games were just like, you know, everywhere. I mean, I think um, uh, one of my friends, Adam, picked up Waterworld for like not even like five bucks. You paid too much. We paid too much, <laughs> even then. So I can't imagine anybody. Oh, man, if you paid full price for this, you got ripped off. The, the game is awful. It's a 3D boat combat game only. It doesn't do any of the really cool like side-scrolling uh, platformer stuff or even the crappy swimming stuff. It's just the 3D boat thing. And that doesn't sound like, oh, yeah, it's not so bad. The mechanics and like the way it works, though, is awful. It's so hard to tell what's going on. And, you know, as much as I love the red and black you know the the color palette that you're gonna get it does not work for like a game based around water like it just doesn't work i was watching a youtube video of this and i know it's that's not really the same experience but i was getting motion sickness because it's like 360 degrees of rotation like the other game seemed like a pretty serviceable super nintendo port but it's isometric and that was probably a smart move I can't imagine putting on a headset and watching this thing spin around and like getting disoriented constantly. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, I'm trying to remember like if there's anything else because it got so boring too so fast. And you know, I you know especially when you're a kid, you know, like you don't you don't have a lot of money, so you really milk the the games that you do have, even if they suck. You know, like there's a lot of games I played that I just. Uh, you know, I I loved because like that's really I had to. You know what I mean? This was not one of them. It was a really bad game. Getting a stinker as a kid, uh, I, it's less of an issue nowadays because there's just so many games. But yeah, getting a stinker as a kid was a real bummer because I could make myself like some bad games. But if I got something like this, I would have been real upset about it. And in fact, I did actually get Revolution X around this time. So. Actually, it wasn't quite that bad, but I had a similar kind of experience. It's like, ah, this is not that fun. <laughs> Revolution X for, for what system? Super Nintendo, yeah. Oh, man. The <laughs> yeah, arcade was so fun, though. It was, but it didn't translate well. It was just like, yeah. the, uh, well, let's, good, let's good move point. on from that and go back to Waterworld. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're going to get into another track here from The Virtual Boy. This, again, was composed by Jonathan Dunn. This is the gameplay track, so let's take a listen and we'll be right back.
That was the gameplay track from the Virtual Boy version of Waterworld, composed by Jonathan Dunn, well, arranged by Jonathan Dunn, composed by Dean Evans. This is a really, really smooth track, and I was saying to Gene, you know, while we were listening to it, it's like Dean Evans did the Amiga version, and then Jonathan Dunn's like, I'm going straight to C64 on this, because uh, it's just a, a really cool arrangement. Yeah, this one's a little bit more recognizable as the track that it's based off of the map theme, but it still has those kind of odd arpeggios. But I really, really love the melody on this one. I think it's using that classic trick of just doubling the instrument channel so you have that sort of fake delay. But it's just like, it's it's a very gripping sound. And I don't listen to much Virtual Boy music just because there's not that many games. But this is a really great track. It's a really cool one. And we went through this, um, you know, together, changing all the hex values to try to get every possible track in this game. And honestly, there's really only like two tracks. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Just like the game lacks everything else. I mean, if at least if there was like a full soundtrack in here, like I would give it a little more praise. But unfortunately, that's not the case. But it's actually kind of a hard track to rip, so kudos to Brian for having a pixelated audio exclusive. Uh, (laughs) That one's kind of hard to get without sound effects, so that's why you haven't seen this one in a lot of other places. Yeah, but it was a a fun experience because I got to play the game again. No, I'm kidding. It was was miserable. Um, No, uh, let's jump. Let's move on. Let's jump ship um, over to uh, another. There was a joke, and see, you didn't. Oh, I got it. I was there. Yeah. Okay. I, I, uh, okay. it, it landed. Oh, God. <laughs> this All right, is one so, of our better episodes, everyone. <laughs> God, the puns. All right, so jumping over to uh, the next system on the list here. So this is a little bit more successful, actually. On the Game Boy in 1995 in Europe, Power and Magic Development did all of the programming on the game and uh, was again published by Ocean, this time composed by David Lowe. Now, the Game Boy version is uh, a lot more closely related to the Super Nintendo version. It has the same gameplay style uh, where, you know, it's got the isometric boat thing and the swimming and the, you know, all that good stuff. It's actually a pretty impressive looking game. The music, though, just so-so, yeah takes a, a takes a dive um yeah this one's by a you different... didn't get that pun man oh damn man it's getting late i missed it i got <laughs> I, as soon as you said that i'm like i heard you say it <laughs> <laughs> this one was composed by david lowe or uncle art 
Um, he Who's was, an awesome composer. He's he an is, awesome composer. Yeah, I listened to some of his other stuff. He did a lot of Amiga conversions for Sega stuff, like Afterburner 2, Power Drift, Galaxy Force 2. And he wrote the music for the Mega Drive version of The Misadventures of Flink, which is um, kind of a classically sort of soundtrack, but pretty good. This is not his best effort. That said, you know, it's like kind of the opposite of the Virtual Boy, which had like pretty good music for a bad game. This looks like a pretty great game, but the music is just whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But we're going to play a track so you can hear what that's like. Yeah. Let's take a listen. <laughs> this is track one. Uh, we had like several to choose from and none of them were really that compelling. So this is the first track in the game. Let's take a listen. We'll be right back. Was track one from the Game Boy version of Waterworld, composed by David Uncle Art Lowe. So, so it's not a bad track, but it's just strange. It's just like feels kind of like it feels like they cut corners on the sound choices. Like compositionally, I can see that working with a better, you know, patches. But it's just well, yeah. I you know I and I gotta disagree with you on that actually okay, I, yeah. again as much as i love david lowe's work usually this one is just that da da it's just i don't know i not not really that enjoyable yeah i mean you probably had to just get this one out the door as fast as possible because you know the the shelf life on Waterworld uh was not long just, <laughs> i mean you know, keep in mind the movie came out in uh july like late july of 95 all of these games that we've talked about so far also came out probably uh within a few months so uh, if they're pretty close, they probably watched the film and were like, all right, quickly turn this into a game. And they yep. captured most of the action, 
But ah, man, that like get a game out in three months just does not happen anymore. And probably for good reason. (laughs) Yeah. So the Game Boy port was outsourced to French studio PAM development or Power Magic development. And they were also responsible for Ronaldo V football, Ultimate Beach Soccer and the Top Spin Tennis Series. You know, they're probably best known for the Top Spin Tennis Series, but otherwise I'd never heard of them. Yeah, you know, small devs come and go. It's just how the nature of the game industry is. But they yep. it really Sink does look or like swim. they did a good job. Oh, God. <laughs> Start to reach. <sighs> oh, man. <laughs> anyway, so moving along, we talked about a DOS port that came out uh, a few years later, actually. So all these original ports came out in 95. And then the DOS version was somewhat unique. I think the RTS thing was a really big thing. Warcraft 2 um age of empires and stuff like that was uh still really hot and i think that they tried to do something a little bit different so the Waterworld version for dos is actually more like an rts and uh there's not really a lot of music man we looked through this whole entire game it was released on a cd so you think oh there's gonna be some nice cd audio but no it's really just your standard you know wave files that are compressed down and then you get like a few really nice jingles and voices in there but it's pretty simple the game looks pretty interesting though but let's take a listen to the title theme from the dos version of Waterworld. All right, that was the title track from the DOS version of Waterworld, composed by Richard Band. And I, I know that's a really short track, but that's there's not much else in the game. It's very much um, atmospheric and really kind of even hard to hear because it's so low in the background. It's a kind of an afterthought, I think. You know, there's not much reason to bring up this music, but I wanted an excuse to talk about the composer because I had no idea who this was. But Richard Band, don't know the name, but he worked on some of my favorite horror movies like Reanimator. That is a classic. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. Um, Puppet Master, Castle Freak, Troll. He worked on Walker, Texas Ranger, Stargate SG-1. This guy was definitely much more of a TV and film composer, which is why you have kind of that more uh, stereotypical Hollywood orchestral soundtrack for, right, for all this right. sort of thing. Uh, he did work on a number of games, or a couple of games at least. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Pinball, Stonekeep, and Clay Fighter 63 and the Third, which uh, I listened to that one. It's uh, it's just okay. Not too memorable. Yeah, he's definitely better when he has the 
you know, the full orchestra, you know, uncompressed audio and all that. Um, but moving on, you know, Intelligent Games, the developer, their most notable projects were Dune 2000 and Emperor Battle for Dune, which they did in conjunction with Westwood Studios. And they also worked on the Command and Conquer, Red Alert, add-ons, Counter-Strike, and the Aftermath. So they were definitely an RTS company. And uh, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the game is an RTS. It's a lot like Warcraft. Um, we are saying earlier, Age of Empires. Everything takes place on the floating villages and so I can see that kind of getting old a little bit. There's not a lot of land in the game. So there's not really a lot. I mean, I guess you could just fight on other ships. But essentially, you have a crew of like five or six different people. And you equip them with weapons. And then you walk around. You kind of uh, move them around, almost like Syndicate style or Warcraft style, mm-hmm. around the map and have them kind of take on other people. And it's kind of like the, you know, roll the dice, you know, who has the better defense, who has the better attack. Um, and you could take them out. I, I didn't get too far other than um, I, I got into the the first, like towards the end of the first part. And I couldn't figure out how to like open the gate. And so <laughs> I, I just gave up. But uh Interesting, nonetheless. Yeah, I will say one thing, though. Um, the The game features a lot of uh, full motion video cutscenes. It's not like an FMV game, but think like the hammiest acting from like Star Trek Next Generation or Babylon 5 or, you know, like TV, sci-fi and fantasy shows. They're doing their best to like get into character and be in the water world spirit. And that's just like interstitial. So in between stages or right in the opening and, you know, it's entertaining. But luckily, they don't do that during gameplay. <laughs> well, the graphics, though, in this are are really good. They, they look really cool. The scenery looks just like the sets. And uh, so I, I think that they did a, a pretty fantastic job with that, at least on that side. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, let's move over to our last port of the game that never got released. This is the Genesis version of Waterworld. We're going to start with the title theme composed by Jason Page.
That was the title theme from the unreleased Genesis version of Waterworld, composed by Jason Page, or Jason Page, we think. That seems to be the best credit that we have on that one. I've seen conflicting information there. It seems to be mostly him, but I haven't found any official credits. He's not even listed in the uh, the game credits. Yeah, but they're missing a lot of people from the game credits, so we can't really count that. Exactly. Well, the game was never released. Maybe it wasn't done. Who knows? But it's a great track. Yeah, it's like... It's uh, a great track. It's where mid-90s heavy rave music. Very, very different from that Super Nintendo version, for sure. Exactly. And I gotta say, you know, like... I don't know if this fits the game any better. I mean, maybe some of the boss battles or something like that, something that has like that more dancey kind of beat to it. But I can feel a little bit of like Streets of Rage in there, uh, which doesn't feel appropriate, but <laughs> uh, is is very awesome. But man, what a what a cool track and like that that dancey like that. I just, I just a lot of fun, a lot of fun, and that heavy heavy uh, drum set is just. Oof. To playing to the strengths of the chip, I have to say, like, I, I know what you mean by is this really appropriate for the game, but taken out of context, I think it's really cool music well, for yeah, the Genesis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean I think the I, I think the percussion is a little bit blown out, uh, maybe more so than it needs to be, but you know, I can't fault it. I mean it's it's still a really fun track. For sure, yeah. So this was another game that was you know, Ocean, uh, same as the first three, the, the Virtual Boy, Super Nintendo, and Game Boy. Um, this probably would have been released right around the end of 1995, but uh, the market was changing, and I, I get that. There were not so many games coming out in 95 for the Genesis or Mega Drive, um, but in any case, it was composed by Jason Page, and he worked in games from about 1989 to 97. Some of his more notable projects were... Uh, Fire and Ice, The Autophants, Wolverine Adamantium Rage, Sensible World of Soccer, and the UK version of Cool Borders 2, which is actually, I think, one of my favorite works. I was listening to that the other day. It's really cool. Yeah, uh, I was listening to it the other day, too. It is pretty awesome. And, I mean, it's definitely got a cool sound. Uh, the game's driver uses the Graft Gold uh, custom driver that's on the Genesis, thanks to GDRI for finding that. And this was likely programmed by Jason Page. I mean, I, there's some stuff on VGMPF saying that, you know, he wanted something close to his Atari ST um, to be able to um, compose his stuff for the Genesis as well. So I can see that that is probably done by him. Now, that's also kind of the source of the uh, uncertainty around whether he composed it or not, because it might be credited to him because of the sound driver work so it could um, be but when i was listening to his other works on the autophants and wolverine adamantium rage oh yeah we totally definitely in his like style if you will yeah yeah uh cool borders a little different but yeah exactly and i'm gonna kind of just say that it's him for convenience if, if you know if it turns out that it's somebody else i'd love to be corrected we did not reach out to him beforehand but i'm sure if we messaged him he'd say who it was but yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move on. We're, we're getting pretty close to the end of the show, but we wanted to play a couple more tracks from the Genesis version. So yep. uh, this next track is Game Lost or Game Over from the Mega Drive version of Waterworld.
right, that was Game Lost, or Game Over, for the Mega Drive version of Waterworld, composed by Jason Page. It's a short track, um, some heavy percussion, and uh, Jason Page likes to lean on that uh, direct key change, which, you know, everything just pitches up as a way to get a little bit more music out of things, which is fine, you know. I think everybody's guilty of that, so. Yeah, from time to time, for sure. (laughs) The thing is, yeah, the Genesis soundtrack definitely has a lot more texture than the Super Nintendo version, right? There, there's so much more grittiness and like earthiness to it, considering, you know, all things considered. Um, I wouldn't say more texture, it's just a very different atmosphere. Like the Super Nintendo is very like relaxing, and you know, you're like you said, you're on a catamaran, you're on a boat, you're, you're out on the water. This is more like you're in a submarine and it's filling with water. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So uh, as far as atmospherically, is that a word? Yeah, um, I guess so. I would, say, I would say like, yeah, I would say the Super Nintendo has a lot of texture, but I think texture and grit is where kind of where I was going. That actual, like the brashness of the, the sound is, um, you know, where, where the Genesis sits, you know? Uh, I mean, not just in every Genesis soundtrack, but especially this. And maybe that's due to the sound driver. I'm not sure. But um, there's there's definitely a lot of grit, and I think that um, whatever Jason Page was going for in this soundtrack, um, it does have a, a lot more of that, you know, Mad Max kind of feel to it. I, I would say. No, I agree, and I mean it's a competent sound driver. We're not ta- we're not talking gems here. This definitely feels like this was an intentional, like hard hitting, crunchy techno kind of sound to it and i think it was successful for sure yeah and the guy came from you know atari st and stuff like that right so um a lot of c64 work so i mean i could see wanting to keep those really like strong and natural tones in there in place of something that's you know a lot more like rounded definitely where he was leaning so let's get into our next track here. This is In Atoll from the Genesis version of Waterworld.
All right, that was In a Toll from the Genesis version of Waterworld, composed by Jason Page. I think this is probably the most balanced track on the Mega Drive version. Uh, we're not sure, playing the yeah. whole thing, but uh, it's probably my favorite track in terms of just like catchiness and, and bounciness and contrast between the different sections. I love this one. Me too. I think it's great. Yeah, it's great. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking, it's, it's so strange, like, that Ocean would put out a Super Nintendo version of the game and plan on putting a Genesis version out, but yet have so much difference or allow so much difference in the audio when the gameplay is very, very much the same. I mean, they look pretty much the same as the Super Nintendo version, you know, with that Genesis look to it. Um, even though, you know, the game wasn't released, I mean, it pretty much was done, you know? Yeah, you know, I was looking at this, I, I watched the playthrough, the only real difference is it seems like there's slightly less swimming, like the stages are shorter or fewer or whatever, or maybe the person playing the video was better, I don't know, but ultimately, yeah, it pretty much did look like the same game, so... Uh, I, I it probably could have been released, but I think it was kind of like just on the fence of like, eh, are we going to make our investment back on this one? And eh, maybe not. So it yeah, but it. I mean, even more than that, like, why did they have Jason Page do the soundtrack for Genesis when it was already pretty much done by Dean Evans? You know, that's you know, I I hate to speculate, but like, you know, it's it's a question that I'm I'm very curious about. You know, like what was the the motive here? You know, well, so. the only thing that I can figure is that they were kind of specialized. Like one thing we didn't really say is that uh, Dean Evans really didn't work on a lot of Genesis music, so he was probably more comfortable on the Super Nintendo, and um, definitely Jason Page was more comfortable on the Mega Drive, Sega Genesis. We had his own driver, so true. So story, yeah. you know, it's crazy. Like this stuff just doesn't happen anymore, right? There were let's just say four versions of the game and plus that weird pc one every single one of them has a different soundtrack to some degree or another so that's partially what was leading us to this show but it, it is cool to hear so much variety in a game that probably wasn't worth the effort to begin with or you know a series of games that probably weren't worth right. Even making <laughs> right anyways so uh any closing thoughts on Waterworld? we're going way longer than i expected for this episode to be honest no not really all i gotta say is um a lot of great music from a game i wasn't expecting to be much and not just like one version like the super nintendo and genesis have some really great high points in them and i'm glad that we got to explore them yeah Absolutely. And, you know, like, I'm glad I went back and watched the movie, to be honest. I know that sounds <laughs> it's really goofy, but I was I was super stoked when I was done. I was like, man, that, that was so much fun. I felt like a kid again. It was a lot of fun. Anyways, so today we covered Waterworld on the Super NES, the Genesis or Mega Drive, Game Boy, Virtual Boy, DOS PC, composed by Dean Evans, Jonathan Dunn, David Lowe, Richard Band, and Jason Page. Want to say a special thanks to Scoobly for putting the pack on Project 2612 for the Genesis version or the Mega Drive version. Um, and then also all the other people who ripped the soundtrack from the other game. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's work to put these packs together. So I appreciate it all. Everybody's uh, combined efforts. If you want to know more about the show, you can find us on pixelatedaudio.com for show notes and our track list. And we can also be found on Twitter at pixelatedaudio. If you want to leave comments or feedback, Go to our website or leave a review for us on iTunes. It's all greatly appreciated. We also have been uploading more to our YouTube channel. And of course, there is our Twitter. So any place you want to find us, that's where we'll be. Even uh, the contact form from the website, you can email us directly. 
you know, post in Discord. You know, that's another great way to not only get in touch with us, but like everybody um, of, of the, you know, VGM family. There's a lot of people that are, are posting some really great stuff in there, original stuff. And uh, just, you know, it's a good time. So join the Discord. You can find the link on our website. Also want to give a special shout out to Daniel Levers, our newest patron. Thank you so much for your support. And we really appreciate it. If you're new to our podcast, make sure to check out some of our past episodes, like this most recent one with Mark Day on Aqua Kitty, another water-based show with a UK composer. But it was a fantastic show. It turned out great. And uh, his mom is very proud. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we got in an email shortly after that episode released. <laughs> and, you He's know, a great He's so funny. We've, we've got stuff that run the gamut from popular soundtracks to really water deep world. cuts to water world yeah <laughs> so uh, take a look through our back catalog there's some really really fantastic episodes and some weird ones like this one and one about our favorite uh, little tooth man <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah just can't look for, forget just look for the art of a weird looking tooth man and uh <laughs> uh, oh, yeah uh, we, it's midnight here guys we are running on fumes yeah, we were it's like, a long week. like, ah, you want to record a show tonight? How about Waterworld? Yeah, it's already like 1030. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, we got one track taken out the show here left from the Genesis. This is a really cool one. This is the uh, Shop One, or as it's called, Shop One. So it's uh, some kind of shop. Composed by Jason Page. Thank you guys so much for listening and putting up with our stupid jokes for this entire episode. We'll see you <laughs> back in a few weeks for the next one.